0: Do you know where you are?
1: Do you know where you are? This is Appetite for Distortion.
2: Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando. Episode 64. Going to include a very cool interview with Billy Rowe from Jet Boy coming up in uh, just a few minutes. 64 episodes. The interviews keep coming. All thanks to you. I feel like I've been away for a little while. I mean, it's a podcast. These things are supposed to be... What's a uh, it's a it's a it's a word that we use here in the industry as an evergreen. It could be listened to at any time, I guess. But I, I like to be kind of in the, the now, kind of uh, a little bit. It, it, yes, it's not a daily FM AM radio station, but I try to be in the now. Whether it's being quote on the air with the podcast or on Facebook on Twitter, both uh, at the AFD show. So a lot to get to, including uh, my co-host, which is, this is uh, so cool that. This is someone who I, I followed on, on Twitter and has read a lot of his material and the fact that you kind of brought me Billy, Billy Rowe and want to be my co-host. So this is kind of a pleasure in episode 64. So I got to say uh, hi, Matt Wake. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Brando. Doing great. Thanks for having me, man. I love what you do. I appreciate it. Uh, so,
2: Matt Wake, perhaps you've read some of his material, uh, currently writes for uh, AL.com, and then that's all the the Alabama kind of outlets, right? Because that's where you're from? Is that where you're calling from right now?
1: Yeah, I'm calling from Huntsville, which is like 90 minutes from Muscle Shoals, where like the Stones and Aretha recorded. But uh, AL.com is the website of Birmingham News, Mobile Press Register, Huntsville Times, and uh, used to write for LA Weekly, did some gun stuff for them.
2: Yeah, I think that's where the tie comes in because it's another person indirectly that uh, Art Tavana, our journalist buddy, uh, Art Tavana brought us, who writes for for Playboy currently, but used to write with uh, LA Weekly, just like you, putting out you know Guns material, which is just so cool. I, like out of nowhere, there's like these two awesome journalists writing these great Guns N' Roses pieces in both uh, you, Matt Wake, and uh, in Art Tavana. So I, I guess Art. How'd you find us? Because I'm always amazed of just who's listening and who reaches out. So I don't even know how you know about this little show of mine, let alone offer, hey, Billy Rowe uh, wants to do an interview with me. Maybe it might be better on a podcast. Oh, sure. I'll take that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was through Art, uh, who, you know, to me is one of the, uh, I love his writing. And, you know, um, I'm sure most of your listeners read his, Izzy Stradlin piece that was so brilliant and uh Art's a, a good friend and just a super talented guy. So I found out about you through him and I love how you uh kind of help kind of paint in the different pieces uh from the different uh kind of Guns N' Roses universe characters and uh how it all fits together and uh it's real it's real interesting, man. I know fans love it and I love it.
2: I appreciate it, because I really didn't know what this monstrosity would, would grow into, and it's still growing when we uh, started 64 episodes ago with my my buddy, Scotto. We were doing it maybe every other week, sometimes once a month even. So I feel like I've been away for a while, because the last couple episodes were done you know, well over a week ago, maybe two weeks ago at this point, and I try to do it every week. I try to do, because this is just a labor of love, and I, you know, I'm not getting paid for it, hopefully yet. Uh, but uh, I do want to reflect on the next two episodes, or the excuse me, the previous two episodes, and that's all going to be part of, since you're, you know, not only my conduits between uh, Billy Rowe and uh, and this show, which did not mean to rhyme, uh, but you're also going to be a part of news. You yeah, you're part of my silly little news segment. So if you're, you know, a fan. Like Matt Wake seems to be, and it's very cool that he is. Uh, we get a lot of people who are who just find us, you know, maybe you know, by episode 30 or they find us because of one of these side characters in the GNR universe. Like, you know, for example, you know, if you want to hear about Johnny Kelly and you're a big typo negative fan and that brought you in, you know, because I, I literally you can look it up on Facebook. Somebody commented recently, I like your podcast and I'm not even a fan of Guns N' Roses. To me, that's awesome. The fact that you can enjoy yeah. this little thing and and not be a Guns N' Roses fan somehow, I think that that makes me feel like I'm uh, I'm doing my job a little bit. So uh, we had a couple of uh, fringe guys on the past couple episodes. Um, we, I got to say thank you again to uh to Eric Valentine. What an amazing conversation. Uh, he was so many of course working on, with Slash on Slash's first solo record, but just the the amount uh the amount of Talent on that record, if you remember, Matt.
1: You know, oh, yeah, I I like that one. I'm not usually a fan of the Santana, uh, different lead singer for every song, things, but I, right. I like that, right?
2: Yeah, like you talk about like Santana when uh, it was like Michelle Branch and Rob Thomas, and it's like, okay, it's cool for a compilation, but that record, I don't know about it because we really, I don't know because there were, of course, there was no GNR reunion uh, at the time, yeah. any talks or whatever you want to call this now. Um, We really didn't know about, you know, we didn't have obviously the conspirators because that's how he found Miles through this record. But just talk to him about his his time with, uh, you know, with Chris Cornell. And it was just the one year um, anniversary of his passing as we're recording this. Uh, So just good stories about that. So, again, thank you to Eric Valentine. If you missed that episode, check it out. And also the episode before. And I know you, uh, Matt and I, we've had some conversations off the air. And I was very honored to have uh, uh, Constantine Maroulis on the air, because he's quite a character. I don't know if you listened to that episode. Did you?
1: Yeah, I did, and uh, he is quite a character. And uh, I, I also loved – who was the GNR collector that contributed to the box? Oh, Tr- uh, Tim
2: Tricoli, who I still have to think of Spicoli before his, I say his last name. <laughs> yeah, Tim Tricoli, who is a great you know, GNR – memorabilia collection and and somehow he was connected to the uh, the box set so we had him on along with uh, our buddy Art Devana in kind of a two-in-one episode the one with Constantine
1: Yeah, I I loved hearing about how he connected with GNR and uh, got him some of that material. And also, uh, you know, it sounded like they weren't rolling out, uh, you know, future stuff like uh, the Ritz 87 or 88 or possibly some other things from what uh, the, the collector guy was saying.
2: Yeah, he, he certainly knows uh, a lot more than, than I do, and I think a lot of fans were appreciative of, of just him informing, and I appreciate him coming on. It was kind of like a last-minute thing. Art and I were just going to give our opinion on, uh, on the box set, and it was suggested by – and I always give credit where credit is due. Another uh, former co-host like yourself, uh, Remco, who has a nice little uh, Instagram page with his collectibles and memorabilia as well, he connected uh, Tim and I and just suggested, hey, would you want to go on this show? So I like to give a platform to, to fans because that's at the end of the day, that's all I am. I mean, if, if this is the first time you're tuning into the AFT show, I'm not a, an expert. I'm not – You know, an employee of the band. I'm just a fan who happens to work in radio and is able to make this podcast. That's it. So I'm just a fan. Like Matt's just a fan. So it's a platform for fans. So uh, for Tim to have that uh, was pretty cool. I think he appreciated that, and so did the fans. And same thing with with Constantine. You know, uh, since then, since the interview, and since we're, we're talking now, they're on the road. They've been in Australia. And you're in Alabama. I'm in New York City, so neither of us have actually gone to these shows. Uh, but I don't know if you've been watching any of the, the – they they do a lot of Facebook Live, a lot of Instagram Live. So I really appreciate kind of like the hands-on accessibility of yeah. what uh, Adler's Appetite is compared to. And I will say this briefly. Uh, last night I was at the uh, the Misfits reunion show in New Jersey. Oh, wow. You had to put in your, your phones in these – uh, I don't know. It was like this case that you couldn't like get your phone out until the end of the show. Like it was magnetized, closed, closed. So uh, I don't know. It was quite. The, it's quite the difference where one, one re, like, one legendary band, one legend, you know, has that kind of, uh, or I should say that we, I'm pertaining that to Adler has accessibility, but the Misfits, it's just I don't know. It's it's uh, still like a barrier between the the fans and them for some reason. So. Uh, I don't know, what are your thoughts on, because a lot of people are just curious, and I want to play, if you missed the Constantine episode, he did say something controversial, so now yeah. that it's been out for a little bit, uh, and his live shows have been about uh, been out, let me just play the clip if anybody missed it, and also, uh, perhaps you also read it in uh, AlternativeNation.net, so thanks again to them for uh, picking up an episode and transcribing it. So this was the... The quote from Constantine that uh, kind of went viral, made the rounds.
3: I think this is a story about redemption, you know? Mm-hmm. I think, like, those are his brothers he grew up with. And, and um, they are betraying him right now.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: he's going to prove to them that, A, we sound better than them. And, B, that, um, you know, it's not Guns and Roses without Steven Adler at drums.
2: So that was the, the infamous quote uh, that, that Constantine made and was very proud of. He was retweeting uh, even the Alternative Nation articles. I think he obviously he – obviously, I don't think it's – I want to say I think. Obviously, he just wanted to stir up some shit and get attention to Stephen. He supports Stephen getting back at the GNR or, and, and continuing with Adler's Appetite. Uh, what are your thoughts on everything, Matt, now that I have you uh, on the show? The, the, the quote and the performances uh, since then.
1: You know, if you're going to be singing "Appetite for Destruction songs, you know, that kind of badass rock and roll, blues metal stuff, don't you want your front man to have that kind of confidence? That's you true, know? yeah. Uh, I think it's, you know, and I think it's cool and interesting that he's hopeful that Steven would get, you know, back to a regular playing situation with GNR. I think, you know, because you always think about that dynamic. These guys uh, that ha- are have like you know whether it's the guys that were in slashes uh conspirators with miles or whatever you know it, it's kind of cool that they you know because they could be selfish and be like oh man this is my job but they want the best for their you know their uh you know uh, bandmate or whatever um you know I, do i think they sound better than guns and roses uh no <laughs> but you know but still steven adler playing drums on those songs has a hop and you know, a pop to it that nobody else does. And that's, it, people, you know, you got to hear that, right? Yeah,
2: that, that's what I'm trying to do now is <laughs> just focus on on Stevens playing rather than the whole band. And I think, you know, Constantine, I mean, I think he knows that they sound good, but you can't say you sound better than Guns N' Roses. It's different. You know, I think Constantine sounded great on uh, Mr. Brownstone. That has been the standout from his tenure with this band. But what, what, what it makes me... What it makes me really want is new music from them, them to continue a little bit. I want to see them kind of do a conspirators thing. I want to see them do a McKay's loaded uh, thing. And and speaking of which, of uh, of loaded, I got to say, you know, of course, thanks again to to Mike Squires, the guitarist, for our our intro. And when you mentioned that uh, in your point before, as far as bandmates wanting what's best for their friend. That's what Squire said. He wants what's best for Duff, so he wanted. He was happy when the reunion happened, and he still believes that will be loaded in the future. Todd Kearns said the same thing about the conspirators mm-hmm. uh, that at the time that he believed there would be new music and a tour, and obviously it's come to fruition since then. They just announced, uh, at least for my neck of the woods, uh, an October date here in, in New York. So, and Todd said the same thing when GNR got back together. I'm happy, you know, for my friend. And also continuing this to, to do whatever project he has with Slash, so I'm kind of hoping that happens with with Constantine. So because it seems like some sort of brotherhood was formed there, and any sort of positive inf- influence, and I don't know, all this new music, all the possibilities with Axel DC and the bands I mentioned before, uh, I'm I'm into all of it. But oh. that that leads into I guess the last part of Shotgun News before we get into uh, Billy Rowe and this relates to cuz everyone's like yeah new music is great but what about GNR so we kind of got maybe some news on that i don't know are you a quite a frequenter of any of the GNR forums of uh, any of them any facebook pages like how do you normally you know get your community affairs uh <laughs> publications from GNR
1: you know i I've never been a very frequent visitor of the message boards. I have looked at them some uh, that uh, here today gone to hell I look, used to look at a lot back in the day. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, just, you know, it's uh, just typing in Guns N' Roses and looking for news on them. Uh, but uh, I guess you're talking about like uh, the band's manager, Fernando, being on there, right?
2: Yeah, uh, this was because I mean this is what I've I've done I have to do now for the show to kind of be in the know or at least what the the scuttlebutt is as far as what's going on in the forum and you know I mentioned before I like uh, my GNR forum I've had uh, the the admins uh, Russ TCB and and on I believe it was like episode thirty five and I'm interested in what goes into these fan forums because it's you know especially when it's pre- it's been around for a while and how much the internet has changed. So does it just that aspect of it, in addition to the GNR stuff? Because I used to just go when I was there was nothing heard from the band, and like Chinese Democracy leaks, like I was just anything to hear new music. So uh, what I'm referring to, what you just referred to, is uh, Fernando, their their band's uh, the band's manager. He put out a tweet, um, and he said, uh, "Did some light readings uh, reading on the forums today. Funny how some of you are so clueless." Yet you speak from a standpoint of assumption and spread the trash you call your opinion as fact in your little community. So it's been a few days since he put that out. And so I don't want to focus too much on what he said in that moment in time because it's, and I will get to what's ha- transpired since then because again, this is a, you know, we record this when we can. It's not, it would be cool to do a daily Guns N' Roses show and we can pick up uh, from the moment it left off, but it guess doesn't work that way. Uh, at, at the in the time, I liked what – and I still do what Fernando said because if you follow uh, us, the AFD show on Facebook and Twitter, and I don't – I try to avoid putting it on this platform. I just have some annoyances from certain forums and certain members uh, lately, so I kind of felt what he was feeling because a lot of people put out there their opinion and put it as GNR fact, and I just think that's weird. Because you're, unless you're a member of the band, and even when you're a member of the band, you're still a human and people have different perceptions of how things went down. So I identified with uh, his, his quote, but it seemed to have uh, upset a lot of fans because I put it up on, on Twitter and I put it up on Facebook. If people weren't aware, uh, and then Fernando joined my GNR forum, mygnrforum.com, and addressed the, some fan questions, which I thought was pretty cool. So, I think what the press of it was, and kudos to Downsy from IGNR pub, getting him on there. Uh, he goes, uh, I'm kind of, the last few things of like this first quote that he said, he's like, Do you guys fail to see any truth behind what I said? How I speak with Axel or the rest of the guys is obviously different than me typing on a social media outlet. I do apologize for the number of fans within all communities that failed to understand my tweet and automatically assumed being personally attacked. So I mean I don't know if it was my GNR or if that's like the outlet he wanted, or it could be here I don't know here today gone to hell I don't I don't know what it was but I look at it as the broad sense there are just trolls on the internet and he it was pissing him off and it pisses me off, um so uh, but what like what were your thoughts before we get to like some of the cool questions that he answered, um uh, what were, what was your take in that moment in time when he put that out there and someone like you who always puts his articles out there and is really you know you're very subject to to trolling it's not like me i have a podcast and i have to wait to edit it and everything as soon as you put your article out there it's out there
1: uh you know i think that the internet has a lot of upside in that uh you know, you don't. You can really seek out information about, uh, you know, bands and other stuff you're really crazy about, uh, and even if you know they might not be getting, you know, c- uh, coverage from the biggest mainstream outlets. And that's a big cool thing. But, uh, uh, you know, trolls. Are the I, I think that, it, and and I don't know. It it, it can get obviously for someone. You know, these people who, who talk shit about Axel or, or, you know, Fernando or whatever, you know, they'll never meet them in a million years. And they don't know anything about, you know, what's going on in terms of uh, with the business of the band behind the scenes. I, I, I've i covered the band, uh, you know. I've, the only one I've ever interviewed was Slash back in 2011, I think. Uh, but, I mean, I don't really – it's – you know, and people just having a voice, and you know, you know, typing on their keyboard from their mother's basement with Cheetos dust on it. You know, right. it's I'm right. sure I'm sure it gets. You know, I get shit sometimes, and I'm, you know, really not a big deal at all. And then you think of somebody like you know, uh, the guys in Guns and Roses, or you know. To a less extent, the guy who manages Guns N' Roses, the, the shit people talk about and that don't ever know him and don't know shit about it. You know, it's it, I'm sure it's frustrating at times.
2: It has to be. And to connect, you know, our world, Matt, uh, I've had off-air conversations with Art Devana a lot about this because yeah. there are certain things. I mean, I don't mind if, let's just say, you don't like this, this show for, I don't know, maybe you want wall-to-wall GNR talk and you don't care about... You know the lesser known people, or you know maybe my my Jewish humor isn't your cup of tea. That's fine, but when you say certain things, like if I'm spreading lies or if I'm misleading, like that kind of stuff really upsets me. Even if it's from the the Cheetos Dust guy, but Artivana, <laughs> believe it or not, because he's you know a very passionate individual, and if you've listened to this show, you know that uh, he's kind of calmed me down a little bit. He's like, you know who you are, just just be that. But there are times like what I felt, Fernando. Uh, but I mean, I'm only assuming this is why he tweeted. Sometimes it's just enough. And it's like, this sucks. Like, like I got to speak up. So it was cool for him to set up with my GNR for, uh, and, and just answer some fan questions. He did not answer my question, though. Uh, I, I asked if he was, uh, ever had an offer for any Super Bowl. Uh, so it would be awesome if, the, if Guns N' Roses played the Super Bowl. Um, Great question. I know. I thought that was kind of like a very simple, non-controversial question, but that's okay. Maybe another time Fernando will, will answer. But the, before we get to uh, to Billy Rowe calling up in just a couple minutes, uh, what uh, Fernando, I guess what he responded with to certain fans was, as far as uh, new music, he said he believes something may happen in the near future. Uh, he thinks that there will be, and all the band members are supportive of each other and the different projects. Uh, the Guns N' Roses will tour for years to come, which I think is amazing. And, of course, oh, uh, yeah. s- sometimes the Izzy question comes up. And in the news that I was lucky that was broken on this show from uh, Alan Niven about how Izzy yep. was at a, a sound uh, check uh, in 2016, he just uh, – Fernando, in regards to Izzy, just wrote – uh, I am not going to comment on my friend Izzy. I love and adore him, so I would just ignore questions pertaining to him, okay? So, which is fine. I think that that's just fine. So, uh, there's love to Izzy. New music and and G&R continuing in some form, I think, is just, uh, it's all positive. This is all positive. You, all of this is are, are just our stories and facts that we didn't know would ever happen years ago prior to this so I think this is uh, this is all good news
1: absolutely man and uh, especially the years to come and who knows what's going to happen but years to come possibility of music and you know uh not getting into uh, talking uh, possibly shit about Izzy or uh, – uh, by the way, I love the Alan Niven interview you did. And that was a uh, you know, a pretty big nugget that Alan gave you about Izzy at the uh, sound check or whatever. And uh, Alan's awesome. Such a cool voice and such a cool character.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, I want to get Alan on the show in, in the near future. I know he does a lot of uh, co-hosting with our buddy Mitch Lafon who, uh, who connected us. I always let people know who connected who. It's all six degrees of whether it's AFD show or six degrees of GNR. I believe in credit where credit is due. So, uh, you know, Mitch connected me to Alan. Art connected me to you. And you connected me to uh, to Billy Rowe. See? And that's the segue into talking to Billy Rowe. It's like I've done this before. Good. <laughs> how are you doing? Good. Uh, on the line and and Matt, are you like, what are you doing? Are you eating like Doritos? What's going on? There's, like a lot of noise.
1: No, no, no Doritos here. Hey Billy, Matt, Wake.
3: Good to meet you, man. Likewise.
2: I was just yeah. I was just thanking uh, Matt because he's kind of the one that connected us. Because I, I I believe you yeah, reached out yeah. to Matt to write an article, and he's like, you know what, we can do something bigger and better and have more fun. And I appreciate uh, you know, and I have said to Matt already, uh, you know, him bringing you know you want introducing us kinda so um uh uh-huh. now i got to th- yeah. thank you for for taking the time
3: yeah man it'll be fun matt did some cool write up story about the band and you know i see him you see you writing about the 80s stuff and all the good times back then so
1: yeah right on a lot of good bands and a lot better. of good songs like uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh feel the shake and so you guys have a new album coming out is that the deal
3: yeah we do we got we signed with frontiers Awesome. Uh, if you're, fam- I don't know if you're familiar with the label out of Italy. They uh, they they sign a lot. They they got a ton of bands from the eighties. They put out the Last L.A. Guns record, the uh, Missing Pieces, and uh, they put out the new White Snake, the Last Def Leppard, and Journey, and you know they also got new bands as well. But they, I don't know, they approached us through our agent if we if we had a record in us, and we said, yeah, let's do it.
2: That's a great roster, and this is going to be your first record in, in thirty years. Is my
3: Dude, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's gonna come out in January now, wow. but it'll be you know, yeah, thirty years, man. Feel the shake was recorded and was supposed to be out in '87, but came out in '88. So technically, you know, and close not, enough for rock and roll.
2: <laughs> and not to date you, uh, well, not literally date you. I mean, I don't know you that well yet, but not to date myself, I guess. I I was four years old. I think in '88. Yeah,
3: wow. Yeah, I well, I you. wasn't. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm five years old. Uh, but I mean, I am still, uh, obviously, I was young when GNR, because I'm 34, GNR came out and, and Jet Boy, you guys mm-hmm. kind of came up together. And I wanted yeah. to go through the whole ride because it's just unbelievable from where you were. And then uh-huh. I'm sure you never would have thought in 2018 you would be putting out a new Jet Boy record. And with all the bands you just yeah. mentioned on that roster, they're all doing really well, and people still love their music. So there's still a demand yeah, for it. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, absolutely. So, before we get to uh, to that, let's start at the other, uh, the beginning of the Billy Rowe uh, book. And I guess I have to properly introduce you because uh, Billy, Billy <laughs> Rowe from from Jet Boy in line. I like to start my interviews awkward. I like to uh, end them awkward because I'm awkward. This is how it works. Uh where are you call where are you calling from? Are you calling from San Francisco, West Coast? Where are you calling
3: um, from Um actually I'm in Los Angeles right now.
2: Okay. Funny
3: yeah. So I'm calling you from North Hollywood.
2: And where is that like where did you grow up? Are you normally uh are you a west coaster? No,
3: I grew up in San Francisco. Okay. Full on native. I'm like third generation native of San Francisco.
2: Niners and San... And
3: night uh yeah, I grew up with it. Yeah, Niners Giants, of course, you know. Right on. Um, of course, the Warriors now and all that, but, um, yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area, right in the heart of San Francisco. I mean, right in the city, so, um, and then, you know, band-wise, you know, when we signed, when we were about to sign a deal with Elektra Records, we ended up relocating to Los Angeles in uh-huh. 1986.
2: 86. Now, yeah. I, my memories of, of that is very faint, maybe being, again, in, in my crib dancing to Wham!, but I want to go All back right. to your perception of '86. What was like the young Billy Rowe like? How did you? I want to find the path of how you got to Jet Boy and how did you got to be, you know, playing uh, you know, the music you love for basically a, a living and still doing it today. So take us way back when. Like, what kind of kid were you? Were you a good student? Yeah. Did you always want to be a guitarist, a musician? What... It,
3: right. Well, it's it for me. It started like God dozens and dozens and hundreds, if not thousands, of course, people my, my of my era, you know, I got in, you know, in the early, mid-70s, I got turned, you know, I got into music, I mean, pulp, pop culture and, you know, variety shows and, you know, the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour and Sonny and Cher, I mean, I just was nice. glued to that kind of stuff, and it really wasn't until, like, 75 where a good friend of mine, who's still a very close friend of mine, turned me on to Kiss, mm. so... And that was really my gateway to it all, you know. I mean, I was in the Elton John Bay City Rollers and, you know, the Stones and, you know, all the stuff that was great back then. Aerosmith, Cheap Trick, everything, but everything really kind of morphed from Kiss. When I listened to Kiss Alive and saw that photo of Ace Frehley with his tobacco burst, <laughs> Les Paul, on the last page of the booklet, the insert booklet, I was just completely in awe and just... I didn't even know what it was. I just said I want to do that, you know. And that's when I got into guitar and started playing. And you know, music was just, just tons of new stuff coming out at the time. And now it's classic. Now it's classic rock. You still hear it on the radio. And new generations have been influenced by it, you know, from Aerosmith, the Kiss, the Cheap Trick, to the, you know, New York Dolls, to the Stones, to Queen. You know, I mean, it, it's endless, you know, and then coming along with Sex Pistols and Generation X and, uh, you know, I mean, God, the list is so long, you know. I got into a lot of obscure stuff, too, like the Babies and Stars and Angel and nice. Angel City and Rose Tattoo and, you know, and it was probably around 82, 83 that I had met Fernie. Okay. The lead guitar player in Jet Boy, and we just – At the time, we were both into bands like Kix and Lords of the New Church. We discovered Hanoi Rocks and Girl. Um, And all these bands were kind of like this new wave of this rock and roll with a serious glam image. And Hanoi Rocks was really the one that completely changed the game for all those bands of of our era. Jet Boy, Guns N' Roses, Poison, LA Guns, Faster Pussycat. Those, those, those were the bands really of that era of like that next wave after Motley Crue and Rat and Quiet Riot and all that stuff that came along.
2: I think it's uh, you know, all these bands like it's it's again amazing to find out you know the age bracket and what a band does in that era to affect them. And I've I mentioned my age, you know, uh, thirty-four. And I grew up mm-hmm. with Kiss, because Kiss seems to be the the the, the common de, uh, common denominator. They seem to be yeah, in ever like uh, the best example would be the recent interview I did with uh, with Johnny Kelly from Typo Negative, and he's uh-huh. mentioning Kiss, and like I said, like I grew up with them already being you know a franchise. So Matt, I know you're sure. a little bit older than me. Like, did I really miss out on what Kiss is? <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, so I'm 46, so uh, when I was growing up, uh, Kiss was like a combination of like, I don't know, maybe like the Rolling Stones in a Marvel comic book, you know, and it just was perfect for, uh, you know, the the tunes were catchy, the guitars were cool, like uh, Billy was talking about, Ace Frehley, the image was awesome, Um, and, you know, just the packaging and everything with the records, uh and yeah, i i know you know even the biggest fans have people who aren't into them but uh, uh i don't know i thought i think kiss was brilliant really and fun mhm
3: yeah exactly so then it was it was it was so over the top at the time you're talking the 70s when matt and i were into it and you know you're like a kid and you see that <laughs> it's like superheroes playing rock you know and fire and blood and smoke coming out of the guitars i mean i was like you know, I saw him in '77. I was just completely blown away. I was like, just it was just unbelievable.
2: See, and then so like, I guess for for my bracket, having Kiss already have been established, that's why I guess I gravitated towards more of the the Guns N' Roses type, the Jet Boy type, mm-hmm. where they it seemed like the the these gang this gang basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, up there right. kick your ass and play this awesome music and have the, all the girls wanting them i liked mm-hmm. i gravitated towards that so was that right. your your goal is that like when you saw with like Hanoi rocks that's who you mentioned when they what their look was or did you say i want to take that and make it new so like, how did Jet Boy form, or are there, I mean, missing steps, like, maybe, like, what your first band was, and maybe perhaps, uh, if there's a good story, like, when you realized, hey, I can do this for a living, instead of, you know, me just enjoying music right. and playing guitars, was there a moment for you?
3: Uh, I mean, I can even rewind it a little more, like, sure. you know, after the whole eighty, uh, you know, after the 70s, and The Kiss, and obscure stuff like Stars, and Angel, and Piper, and Billy Squire, and Nick Gilder, and The Clash, and, yeah. I mean um, all that stuff. I got into all that. And I was in Elton John. I was in a lot of the, you know, like Cliff Richard, you know, some of the AM pop stuff. I love that stuff. But then I got really into new wave of British heavy metal. Here comes with Dan Iron Maid and Judas Priest, and, you know, um, you know, whatever, early Def Leppard and Motorhead and Saxon. And, um, I mean, it could go deep with bands like Holocaust and, uh, you know, Angel Witch and, Venom and all that, Tigers of Pantang. I got into all that stuff. Anything that was new. And being in the Bay Area, that was, of course, a huge part of what launched, what became later. It was like that whole thrash metal, you know, with Death Angel, Metallica, Exodus, and all that. But when those bands formed, who were all our friends, I went the direction of Hanoi Rocks and, you know, eyeliner, lipstick, and lace, and painted nails. and But it was dirty rock and roll. It was like sleazy whatever i mean i don't even know if we really thought of it that way but we just it was a whole scene that gravitated toward us and, and in san francisco jetball was definitely one of the bands that took it to another level in a sense you know with the look and the whole image and our singer had a mohawk and sure. um you know but it was always you know like with guns and roses and faster and LA Guns. we all we did we had there was a it was. A, I always thought what it really was. It was a dirty edge, but what it really was is we all loved punk rock, but we also mm-hmm. all loved Aerosmith and and the whole you know the Cheap Trick, and we loved like bands like Accept and Girl and all that. I mean it was a mixture of that, but the image really came from. I got to say, Hanoi Rocks for all of us, and we all just bowed to that altar. It was just they were the band. Everybody was into Hanoi Rocks. That's how. I mean, in 1983, that's that's really my beginning story of Jet Boy and Guns N' Roses is Fern and I used to travel to Los Angeles with a good friend of ours, Diane, who used to love Wasp. And this is before the first Wasp record. So we used to hitch a ride with her to L.A. And they'd be playing the Troubadour. First time we went with her, it was 1983. And I just remember vividly this dude standing in front and like, black hair, white shirt, white creepers, you know. Tight black jeans with safety pins going up the front, you know, black fingernails. And, and you know, we were pretty much the same with the Creepers. And I, we just started talking and it was easy, you know. And then here comes Chris Weber and here comes Bill, which is Axel. And we all completely clicked over Hannah Rocks and Girl and Lords of the New Church and Johnny Thunders. And uh, they had Hollywood Rose going at the time. Mm-hmm. And we used to go and hang out. You know, we all became like this friends, and we didn't have Jet Boy going, but we had the name, and we always said it's like you know they were doing Hollywood Rose, and and but I think you know I guess things were kind of like starting to shift or whatever. But we always said, it's like, oh, we got to start doing shows together when we got our bands up and running and all that, and we kept in touch. And every time Fern and I would go to L.A., which was often back then. We'd meet up and hang out, you know. We used to go to shows and never go into the shows, you know. Izzy and I would sit outside and drink peppermint schnapps and listen to his ghetto bosser with all the shit we love from Girl and anti Rocks. And, you know, we'd go to a rough cut show, but we could care less about watching rough cut. We would rather sit and just hang out in the scene in the parking lot and listen to the stuff we wanted to listen to, you know. (laughs) And and that's where our relationship started, you know. And that's where the whole scene started. Where we met, like Tammy and Tracy Guns, and you know all the guys who were in the starting those bands. We were all like new, up and coming bands at the time. It's such a
2: pool of talent. Yeah. So like, and you were friends. Like this is what I always found interesting. This all the talent, people that were involved, and like mm-hmm. you said, uh, you weren't Jet Boy yet. They weren't Guns and Roses yet. You know what? Major, if you were also friends, like how did you decide, decide who would be in like what band? Like why couldn't have you recruited Bill, aka Axel, to be in Jet Boy or or Izzy to be in Jet right. Boy? How did you kind yeah. of pick teams, so to speak, if that makes any sense?
3: Yeah, I don't know. That never, that's a good question. But I guess really we were from San Francisco, and we kind of had a core of a band back home. You know, we had Ron was on drums and Todd was playing bass and we were really looking for that singer, you know, and Izzy and Axel were, you know, they were the Keith and Mick, Joe Perry and Steven Tyler. I mean, that's what those guys were. You know, I always, you know, when it comes to the GNR, I really just do the hats off to those two guys. And, you know, especially Izzy, I think he's the underrated guy of the band who, you know, he was a huge part of what that band became on that first record, you know? Oh, for sure. I, I, I feel, you know, that's my opinion, you know. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, everybody was kind of like, our bands were already kind of started and we all had our groups of people. And I guess us being in San Francisco is why we never considered, I mean, even though we were looking for a singer, it was a couple guys we talked to, but it just, the distance was tough. Mm-hmm. And then soon enough, early early 1984, here comes Todd knew Mickey. He goes, I think, I know, I know this guy, I think he might be good. And it was Mickey Finn and once he once he stepped in it just it, you know it was just like the spark that started the car you know when you're trying to hotwire it it just all of a sudden it just started up and it was like whoa that we got something something going on here uh
2: the first time you you, you met Mickey uh your your singer because you mentioned mm-hmm. before and if you don't you know people don't know like now trying to be punk rock is kind of unfortunately become mainstream, which is the opposite. Yeah. So maybe having right. a, a mohawk now does not mean anything. It's like you're trying to be something. Back at that right. time, having a mohawk, people were afraid of you. That was a big yeah. deal to have a mohawk in, mm-hmm. in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what Did you have the mohawk when you first met him? Was there... You know uh, uh you know was there more to, is there a method to the madness of having a mohawk or is just?
3: yeah, no, he did not have the Mohawk when he joined the band. He was very Michael Monroe, just big, blonde, spiky hair, you know, and it really was probably like it was early on, it had to have been like. Third could have been like the third show, or like I don't know. I can count flyers and get more accurate, but <laughs> very early on, his girlfriend at the time was becoming a hairdresser, and he just comes to one a show we were doing. You know, it was always getting prepped up for that show, and boom, it was a mohawk, and it was it wasn't the real nail spiky one. It was a real glammy one. It was more just kind of just ratted out, but it was a mohawk, and we were all like, "On, whoa, oh, this is you know." <laughs> much as we loved the punk and all that, I was just like, well, this is, like, completely different, you know? But oh, I don't know, man. It just kind of it worked for us, you know? And it just became a trademark for the band. But it also um, became a difficult part, too, because we went into mainstream. When we got signed, that mohawk was very, very, very... They didn't understand it. Labels didn't understand it. Magazines, you know, a lot of people just could not comprehend, wait, this is a rock band. You guys that thing over the Mohawk. They just put us next to Motley Crue or whoever, you know.
1: Hmm.
3: The other, you know, faster, and it was kind of, it was a little bit of scratching of the head, you know.
1: I love how the, uh, the 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 first jet boy record feel a shake has this real scrappy kind of stream feel to me in a, a, a different way but uh, the first faster album did too but my question was um you're t- we we're talking a little bit about how you guys were getting together as jet boy and i've always assumed it was named for the new york Dolls song and if if is that true and if Later, did you ever encounter Johnny Thunders or uh, David Johansson, and uh, did you ever hear what they thought about it, you guys naming yourselves? Right.
3: right. Yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, I, I knew the New York Dolls, but I think around this time was when I was really kind of, like, getting into it more. And I yeah. knew the song, and Fern used to work for a, a freight forwarding company, which is uncle-owned in the Bay Area. And he'd always go to the airport to pick up freight. And he got nicknamed, I want to say he got nicknamed Jet Boy. And when we were trying to come up with names, that doll song was in the mix as what we were into. But he did say, he goes, what about Jet Boy? And it's just kind of like, yeah, that's cool, it's the doll song and so it kind of came from that and also this story of where Fern had this background of being at the airport all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really, I mean, that's from what I remember. I remember being in my kitchen in my parents' house when the name popped up and that's we just kind of stuck with it and but the dolls were of course a huge influence and it was they were no longer at the at that time but it was Johnny Thunders and we had seen Johnny a couple times you know in the you know when we were starting up the play and uh starting to do gigs and all that but in 1986 we did a show with Jet Boy Guns and Roses and Johnny Thunders for the uh Casey Ross era Johnny Thunders at Long Beach at the Fenders Ballroom, and that's a show that all of us were flipping out over. Like, holy shit, we're playing with Lord Thunders. You know? It was a huge deal. Hmm.
1: Mm. Um, Billy, back then, when you were playing those early shows, Jet Boy with Guns and Roses, uh, what did you view as the strength of GNR at that time? Was it, like you were talking about earlier, kind of the Joe Perry, uh, Stephen Tyler, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger thing uh, between Axel and Izzy. What did you view uh, as the strengths of GNR at that time?
3: Uh, you know, when we, when we were doing to gigs together, all of us, uh, all these bands I mentioned, we were all rough around the edges trying to figure it out. We Everybody just had a huge passion for wanting to be in a band, having a band, and just... Being, you know, showing the influences of what we were so into at the time. But yeah, for, for Guns, Guns and Roses, it really was the chemistry of every one of those guys. It just worked. It just clicked. It's like every guy had a part and a role. They all had a different look for the most part, you know. And yeah, it's kind of like rock and roll, just like blonde surfer dude, Steven on drums, you know. Duff, the punk guy with you know, the long hair punk dude and Izzy's kind of the Keith Richards, you know, Stonesy guy. Axel was, you know, he had that punk Hanoi Rock's vibe, Michael Monroe, you know, and you know, Slash had that Joe Perry. But he also kinda dipped into that Michael Shanker in a way, you know. Hmm. Type thing. So they had they had a real unique unique thing going. And it really goes for all of us, you know. Oh, absolutely! I remember Axel telling Mick stories, you know, going like, "Man, when you came out, that mohawk and the lights and the green—it was like this, like reptile, you know." I remember him saying shit like that because Mick and Axel used to really connect on like this, this man kind of thing, you know, not like trying to outdo each other, but really kind of like admiring each other a lot, like talking shop maybe. Yeah, talking shop and just, like, they were, they really both were, like, kind of ahead of their time in ways, but yet they were shining influences of what they grew up on, you know? Yeah, I can see that.
2: Yeah. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Going back to before with with Mickey, it's not like he was the first one with a Mohawk, but he really made yeah. it something else. And it's just so funny right. to think of 2018. You know, I can just see, like, a bunch of suits, you know, around some sort of you know, in, in a conference room saying, you know, oh, five seconds of summer, it would be a good job if one of them gets, like, a mohawk. That would be really cool. You know, it would just mm-hmm. be like a processed decision now to look rock and roll, to look punk. But back then, right. you know, when you're all kind of dressing over the top, the mohawk seemed to be right. too over the top. And, you know, and, and yeah, and Axel the same thing, too, with, you know, maybe with the bandanas or the athletes' chaps. I mean, you guys seem to really take uh, risks in, in different ways. And what's right. what's cool with the early shows, some of the flyers, because you mentioned uh, before, I don't know, I don't want it to be a throwaway comment that you can count the flyers. I don't know if you still have them. But there mm-hmm. are, I there are yeah, well, I mean, I don't know, maybe there are your pictures online. Because uh, when we were talking about your right. episode promoting it, I love this one. This is back to school bash with Jet Boy, plus special, a special guest uh, from Hollywood, Guns N' Roses, at the Stone. Right so what uh, can, what can you tell us about those early days the back to school bash where you giving away you know erasers and and pencil sharpeners well like what's a what's a back to school bash with jet boy and guns and roses
3: yeah it was just it was just a title you know I so can remember silly. you know a lot a lot a, yeah being silly and just kind of having something to catch people's eye and it was you know it was it was kids back then we were all kids we were all like I was right out of high school, starting in high school, graduating it was like right after it was like my first show with Jet boy we were all still pretty young into our early twenties. And, you know, you just put stuff together with, with something, a catchy phrase, you know, I know GNR did a lot of that, you know, you know, the, you know, the surgeon general warned you that, you know, whatever, you know, a, a live performance of Guns N' Roses is hazardous to your health. You just kind of put shit like this on your flyers and it was punk rock and, you know, you did it yourself. And, we all made our own flyers. And that was, you know, like, like show at the Stone. That's what we would do. They would come up and open for us in SF. And we would go down to L.A. and we open for them, you know, on their turf, you know. And then it became time where we all were headliners. But we did more shows with them in L.A. than in San Francisco. So we did, you know, quite a few on the club level. Jet Boy and Guns N' Roses, and we just, we, you know, we just, we clicked. We just had this thing that just worked great together.
2: Hmm. And I'm looking at another another uh, flyer right now that says "Reckless Life," but with the W, because of course their their song would be "Reckless" with just the R. So I don't know if right. that's where the infancy of that song came, or if you were just in a kind of a, a sailing mood at the time, talking about wrecking a ship but it's just so cool right. to see these, like who would decide when it was a double bill, like how to make the poster? Did you guys, was it a collaborative thing? Uh, I, I know it's so yeah. simple. But.
3: Right. I think the, the ones for San Francisco, I would do them and I would just put a flyer together, really, you know, grab their photo. And then the ones in LA, we would just send them a photo or putting them, whoever was putting the flyer together. I don't know if it was Vicki Hamilton at the time or Izzy or whatever, but um, they would just grab an image and, they would do the flyer, you know, because we wouldn't really be able to promote much being in SF, except for we'd do BAM ads and stuff like that.
4: Hmm.
3: Yeah. So can you take us back? That's the stuff I... I... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. That's the, stuff I, that's the stuff I don't really remember too vividly, on who did what, that um, comes from that. But
2: No, all good. I'm just trying to get kind of yeah, uh, yeah. the, you know, the, the view of what, you know, as much as I can through your eyes of what that scene was like, because I actually just now I'm thinking right. of, you know all you have to go through to make a flyer back in right. those days. Now, Photoshop, printer, yeah. just, you could do it yeah. in two seconds. So
3: yeah, it had to have cost you guys pay. a
2: lot of money to do that back then.
3: Yeah, yeah. Flyers were a huge deal back then. You really put your just everything into that flyer, and when you could work up the pain for a BAM ad, it was even bigger. And, you know, that we're on the flyer store. I can remember one story that uh, I flew down to L.A. like, I don't know, I guess it was like... I think GNR, it was GNR and, and uh, Guns N' Roses and Jet Boy at the country club. I and mean, It must have been 85, 86, whatever. And so I flew down, and our manager, Bridget, picked me up, and I went and stayed with Izzy, and I flew down, and we grabbed flyers, and we went around town and just pasted them. With, I remember I had brought wheat paste. You know, you paste it on shit. <laughs> Izzy's like, well, we're going to get in trouble for that. So I'm like, no, nah, just paste it all over the place. Who cares? <laughs> and we would go post it around, but we went and borrowed... We, got, we needed a car, and I don't remember. I want to say it was um, uh, Wes's car. It was a station wagon, and I don't know if it was whatever. It was in a parking lot, and Izzy didn't have a license. I had a license, so I'm driving the car. Izzy's in the passenger seat and was about to pull out, like, on Hollywood Boulevard to hit the flyers, and this rat, big mound of red hair ratted out, looks through the window, because it was like almost like an El Camino with a sliding windows behind the the driver area, and it was Axel sleeping back there. <laughs> and I just remembered he'd like, he'd waking up like, you know, what what's going on? You know, where are we going? He was like sleeping in the car. <laughs> well, I don't remember if he just went for the ride and slept the whole time or whatever, but I just remember shit like that is what we did, you know. It was very DIY, and we did what we could to promote the band. We did anything we could. We would steal a car oh. and do that if we had to.
1: Billy, uh, just to further, I'd love uh, you setting the scene there of what things were like for the bands promoting uh, shows back then. Uh, What was it like, like at a venue at uh, like the Stone or the Country Club? Was it like 200 people, 500, 100? Was it like, you know, mostly, uh, you know, kind of like a lot of young rockers and kind of strippers or whatnot? What put us in the room there, man? What's it like? What are you seeing out from the stage?
3: Uh, well, yeah, the stone was probably, that was probably a good 300 or more. Maybe, maybe it could fit, fit up to five and the, the same with the country club. The country club could have been more, you know, but the time we played, uh, I mean, when you would look out at certain levels, like the troubadour and all that, a lot, a lot of the shows, the rocks and the whiskey, and when we got to a certain point, it was packed. It was just, it was everything. It was a ton of hair, <laughs> hat, eyeliner, hot chicks, you know, cool-looking rock dudes or dudes looking like chicks or whatever, Mm -hmm. just super glammed out, you know, that was really the audience. It was just, and it was always just packed with tons of fun, you know. It it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as cliche as that is, you know, these days. That's really what it was.
2: Because you say cliche these days, and that's just what we know, but you lived it, and it's not like you can tell... You know, when you're living through something that maybe something is going to be big, big that Jim no. would go on to be something, would GNR would go on to be something. But can you recall no. the perhaps maybe the first time you met uh, Axel and or uh, Izzy? Because you said they could be like uh, they were comparable to, you know, Steven Tyler, Joe Perry, but that didn't mean they were going to be on that level. You maybe just saw I'm the right. similar chem- a similar chemistry. So do you remember meeting them for the first time and or if you thought that they like, wow, this person's going to be this is the next so-and-so.
3: Right. No, I never I never thought that was any of... I, I just... It was really more just connecting, being into the same stuff. We sure. were all such fans of Hanoi Rock. We were all still... And, you know, everybody still is, I think, even more now. But you're just, like, a huge fan of what you're into. And you're just loving what you're doing, being able to play music. And I don't think we really thought anything like you know wow this guy's got it you know because i don't even really think we paid attention to that we were just cuz they're just your friends in the band right yeah they were exactly they are peers it's the, it's the same way now i got so many friends who just like worship Guns N' roses and some of these bands and from you know i look at them like oh well, that's cool i mean but there's probably people that grew up with Aerosmith and Kiss and Cheap Trick and these bands that I worship go like, wow, that's how I would think. Mm-hmm. So it's a generation thing of what you grew up on and what you're impacted right. as a kid, I think. I think when you're a kid, it's a huge deal how things impact you and music, especially. I and mean, you take that with you for the rest of your life.
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: You know, you know those are, you're going to always, when you, when people connected with Guns and Roses, when, when you were your age, you know, you're just, You'll take that to your grave. I mean, this is how it is. Right. And um, then, go ahead, Matt.
1: Hey, uh, Billy, uh, you mentioned uh, Hanoi, how big that was for you guys and for people like Izzy and Axel and uh, it, everything as far, as far as, you know, like look and music and everything. And you guys eventually had um, Sammy Yaffa mm-hmm. from Hanoi uh, join right, the band. Right. How surreal was that to have a guy of, that was in a band you were a huge fan of be in your band?
3: Right. Oh, that was a huge deal, man. I mean, that was a real turning point. Uh, you know, a lot of drama, a lot of everything in that point because we fired Todd. But, you know, when we knew Sam was coming over, we were a little, we were, kind, we were like super shocked, like, wow, this is crazy. But at the same time, we had gotten signed the band's doing pretty well. You can get it in any club for free, you know? So there's a certain level in your head. You're just kind of like, you know, you're whatever, if it's an ego or whatever it is, but, um, you're very kind of on a, this playing level, you know, in your mind, but, you know, down deep, it was like, wow, man, what can Sammy office join in the band? And, you know, it, it happened so fast and we clicked so well. And, and, he was super stoked to get, you know, the offer to come out and to play in the band. We were so stoked to get somebody of his level. And, uh, you know, to this day, we're all, like, super tight, super close, and we'll laugh at the stories and the shit we went through. And, you know, soon after Sam joined, here comes Mike Monroe, here comes Andy McCoy, here comes Nasty Suidai. They all end up coming to Los Angeles and starting their solo projects, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of it was based on you know, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of it was because Sam joined this American band that had a deal that was part of the scene that was exploding. And the other guys kind of followed his footsteps of like, wow, we got to like, you know, cash in on this as well. And they all ended up moving to LA. So a lot of it had to do with, you know, Jeff Boy and the whole connection of, you know, Sam joining the band. Interesting.
2: That's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, because you see that on I mean, lot yeah. now. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, we all had anti rocks on our walls, and you know, remember Izzy and I and Fern and Chris Webber drove out to this record store because that all the wasted years came out, and we needed to get it on vinyl. And, and even though that's all you got back then, we you know and we had to get the record, and you know we were fanatics. We loved it. I, that, that was the band. Cool.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at that like kind of comparing it in my. In my chemically imbalanced head, you know, you working with, with Sam, you know, working with one of your heroes from Hanoi. I kind of look at that now like Axel working with, uh, with ACDC a little bit. He grew up with ACDC, oh, you know, his like exactly. Yeah, how does that happen? And also going on your point earlier... You know, you may look at these guys as peers. You know, you called Axel, Bill, Izzy. You know, or you were saying that people for your era, you know, Smith, but people consider Steve, uh, Stephen Tyler, a friend and not the rock god. So it's just again the bracket of the time you grew up with, grew up in. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Do you remember the the first time uh-huh. at a game with your friend Bill? The first time that uh, there was a Jet Boy in Guns and Roses show. Do you remember that first show, or maybe?
3: Oh, yeah, wow. yeah, it was at the Troubadour and it must have been in, uh had to have been in 85. It was probably our second time in L.A. and it was Jet Boy, Guns N' Roses and the Joneses, hmm. the Troubadour. I don't know the exact date, but it was 85, probably mid to late
2: 1985. Hmm. Yeah. Anything uh, in particular you you may remember, or just what you said, sea of hair, eyeliner, hot chicks, or anything?
3: Yeah, that, that was that was a very, I mean, that was a real punk rock show in a lot of ways, because, you know, the Joneses were that real nitty-gritty, you know, they were kind of ahead of the game with everybody, of that whole, you know, junkie rock, you know, that whole Johnny Thunders, you know, mm-hmm. black jeans, black everything, you know, rock and roll, but with that punk twist to it, so that was one of those shows that just really solidified the scene we were starting to build. Cause that's what we were into. We didn't want to go play with, you know, we didn't play with bands, like, you know, nothing against them, but like warrant and stuff like that. That wasn't our thing. You know, it had to be, we tried to keep it in our own little, you know, what we were into or it had more of a punk vibe to it. Sure.
2: Sure. You know, I like uh, also how you said you're still friends with with Sammy because so many years c- can pass by and you're still friends with these people that you you grew up with, still making music. Some of the some of the people you grew up with over time mm-hmm. has it you know upset you that sometimes like w- how you were friends with GNR and growing up together, how there may not uh-huh. be that the closeness because you know if you're comfortable talking about some of the the things that have transpired uh, since then right. uh, going forward, but does it bother you a little bit that maybe you're not as friendly with with axel anymore or i don't know your relationship with with izzy i know you're still friends with tracy mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. how does how does time affect your relationships with some of the you know the people you grew up
3: with right well you know all the other bands faster and l.a guns and all that you know we still keep up with like tracy and you know we got eric stacy's playing with jet boy now who was in the original faster and Tamey, still friends with all these guys. With, with Guns N' Roses, it was always, it's publicly known for the deep heart. Ones. That our relationship, you know, like Todd, our bass player, when when we started, when he met G&R, which was technically through Fernie and I, you know, we're the ones who connected the two bands because we knew them prior. He just took a, you know, he, he just, he was on that, that ride, of that party ride, you know, big drinker and dabbling in drugs. Um, And so our relationship was really tight. But then when we let Todd go from the band, it it just completely splintered. You know, it just, you know, I, I don't keep up with, I would love to see Izzy, you know, um, and I've seen the other guys. I've seen Duff. It's all, everything's cool. And I don't hold any bad grudges or anything like that. It's what it is. But, you know, Todd and six months after he was out of Jet Boy, we get Sammy in the band I think that took another level of things with that scene of like, oh, shit, they got the dude from Hannah Rocks in the band. None of our records were out yet. We were signed, but there was that, you know, you guys fired Todd. You know, we're all family and got to stick together. I mean, all this kind of stuff happened and all this stuff was said. There was anger in the clubs after we fired Todd, but we, you know, we tried to get help and tried to get Todd help to get his, you know, get sober whatever it took to just be a little more on, you know, the level of, of functioning in the band. Cause you know, God bless Todd, you know, not anybody's fault, but you know, he couldn't function at rehearsals at, at one point and it was a lot of resentment, you know, and um, when we let him go, it was just, we just kind of got to a point where we knew that this is going to affect what we need, you know, and I don't think anybody understood that. It's, when it came uh, to rehearsals, it was difficult.
1: Go ahead, Matt.
3: You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, Billy. Uh, as far as Todd Crue goes, before, like, he started having the problems with the drinking or the, the, the drugs or whatnot... What was cool about him? What did you like playing about him? He, he obviously, from what I've read, was, had uh, some kind of charisma that these people wanted to be around him. And, you know, for you to want him right. in your band. What was Todd like? What was cool about him before things started, you know, uh, right. heading right. in the wrong direction there?
3: Right. Well, Todd was just like, he was one of those lovable guys, you know. He was, he was super smart. He was the only one in the band who went to college. He came from a very well-to-do family. Um, and he discovered rock and roll at a young age, like all of us, but really playing music, I think uh you know it, it it took him to you know he just became immersed in it, like we all did, and just he was just he was you know everybody kind of gravitated he was like the good looking guy had the the hair and all that, and he was just a likable guy. I thought it was awesome, he was great. it just when it got to the uh the drinking and some of the abuse, which everybody was doing. <clears throat> there were times that, you know, we'd be like five minutes before we'd go on, and where's Todd? You know, or we'd get the rehearsals, and where's Todd? Or he'd show up, and he'd pass out on the couch, and we're like, we can't practice. And it got to that point, you know, yeah. and unfortunate. But, you know, what everybody loved about him, in a lot of ways, when we came down, when we ended up moving to L.A., or playing L.A. a lot with, you know, g guys and everybody, is He was a fun guy to party with, really. You know, he was the guy who would just keep on partying, and sometimes Todd would be the guy dancing on the bar, and everybody would just get a kick out of it, you know. But at one point for us, it became difficult because we knew that it's like, wow, that's like we're not going to be able to work tomorrow or work on songs or whatever it is, you know. A lot of people didn't see that kind of stuff. And I know everybody had their issues and hangovers and stuff like that or whatever it may be, but. The rest of us, once we got signed, we kind of like straightened up a little bit to try to like really focus on writing and keeping the band together, you know? Sure. The so.
1: opportunity you had. Yeah, okay.
2: it, it, it's, it's hard not for me to to think about now with the what, what's currently going on with, with Stephen Adler and, and then the parallels right. between Stephen and Todd because Stephen yeah. was, of course, famously kicked out of Guns N' Roses for doing too many drugs for Guns N' Roses uh and right. he could have easily easily went down the same you know path as Todd yeah. and not been alive and right. he's alive right. today he's uh, currently on tour happy you know right. he wants to be mm-hmm. back in with with GNR whether right. he, there's uh I guess you I don't know I don't think I'm, I'm putting too much opinion on it there still seems to be bitterness there that he he wants yes he was happy to have joined those one-off shows but he wants to be back in Guns N' Roses. Even when we interviewed right. uh, Constantine his mm-hmm. new lead singer, he wants Steven to be back in, in Guns N' Roses. And, mm-hmm. and whenever right. I talk about Steven or any of these musicians, so I just want you to know where I'm coming from. Uh, Billy is that you know I'm open about you know my sobriety, you know my my issues with depression. I'm, I haven't had a drink in two and a half years. So I, I, there's a mm-hmm. certain like I understand how there's a perception within yourself the effect that you have on the people around you, friends, family, a band, for our, you know, our situation, and then people on the outside looking in, because I used to right. be very when I was younger, before I really understood mm-hmm. uh, substance abuse, so I would be judgmental. I'm like, you can just put a drink down. I now I, it's not. It's it's, it's a disease. So it's difficult. Right. So. Right. And.
3: Yeah. It's, it's, so. It's, it's, yeah, it's interesting hearing you say all
2: that. Well, I'm trying to be honest and create a, a right narrative because I wasn't there, and I know there's these things right. have been public. uh Because in Slash's right. book, he wrote about um, Todd passing in his arms, and I will just say, right. Billy, anything again? Because it's just you, me, and Matt on the mm-hmm. phone. So, if there's anything you're uncomfortable right. talking about, we can just say. Yeah, no,
3: I can talk about it. That's all right, right cool. Yeah. I'll
2: just letting you know again where I'm coming from. So.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's. It. I mean, that's interesting. I don't. I don't. I'm sober. I don't party and all that. And and you know, to rewind it with Todd. I had a very big personal issue with it because prior to in 1986, February 1st, 1986, my father died at 47 and it was a heart attack. But he was an alcoholic, you know, not in recovery or anything like that. And, you know, Todd's the only one who didn't go to my dad's funeral. And then a year later, you know, I'm dealing with this stuff, what I was dealing with in my home life in a lot of ways with my bass player it became very normal to me in my head up to really not too long ago in my life but you know um i get that so there was a lot of there's yeah there's a lot of stuff that just you know it's really tough in today's world you know more you know what it can do to you and nobody had the information back then you know all these guys in gnr they're all sober guys now and they were lucky and caught it in time you know unfortunately with todd He was, as he used to say, he's on a death wish, you know, and he ended up going to New York with Slash and uh, nobody really knows exactly what happened. You can read stories and all that, but only, really, only Slash and Lois Ayers knows what happened Mm. that day, you know, and Todd was very drunk from what I understand and wanted to get heroin and, you know, you know, and, you know, Our singer, Mickey, dabbled in that stuff as well, and the heroin and the needles and all that, and he's not proud of it either. But when it did happen, he he did say for sure, he says, I guarantee you, Todd did not put that needle in his arm because he was not skilled enough to do it, because he wasn't a junkie. He would just, if it was there and he was fucked up enough, he would, you know, he would do it. So I don't know how true all that stuff is. Nobody's going to know the truth or if that's, something that happened but you know I feel you know God bless t- uh, Slash for having to like live with whatever did happen you know because regardless you know he, they were friends and it's right. got to be difficult you know to be sober and have children of your own and to still carry that with you you know it's just Gotta be hard, that's, that's it. I that's appreciate country. you.
2: That's that's a very healthy thought process because that's how I think. Because you know, I mm-hmm. we weren't there, even though for someone like you who obviously was there in a matter of speaking, these are your friends, it was you know your life. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm just going back and reading about these stories, <clears throat> uh, but I right. can kind of compartmentalize, and that's why I kind of just mentioned you know my own experiences. You know, right. the thought process or the lack thereof when you're using whatever it is. For me, mm-hmm. it was just – right. I can't even compare. I've never done heroin. It's just been drinking in pot for me, which is just right. – uh, I feel silly saying, but I've learned to, to know that an addiction is an addiction. And if you abuse it, it's it's a problem. So – and just things like i Yeah, like, I've gone to Yeah, because yeah. I've gone to AA and, and it's just like you, you mentioned. I think about what Slash has to live with now, even though he's turned his right. life around. What Duff has to live with now well. And and everybody, yeah. same thing with, of course, with with you, Billy. What everyone has to live with now, it's it's so difficult. Yeah. But in in the time or or now, what, like, what do you think about? I guess like a two part question, and you can say, hey, those are my feelings back then. It doesn't it doesn't reflect on how I feel now. Do you feel that GNR was hypocritical in letting Stephen go, and then what do you feel now about? Okay, if he is, and we believe it. He's sober. That he should be brought back into the band. When you're all alive, you have this, right. you have this chance. Right. That you unfortunately, you guys right. don't have.
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, with, with the whole thing with Stephen, you know, you know, I guess you could say there's a hypocritical part about it where yeah, they did the same thing to Stephen, and you know, even like had him sign some paperwork or whatever to forfeit money. But I wasn't in their shoes. I didn't deal with Stephen at that level. I don't know what it did to them as a as a band. So it was a different, you know, for them, it's a different place, you know, it's like, I, I, you know, they were humongous at the time. So probably maybe it was the right decision to make. And it's just, maybe it didn't happen exactly the way people think or the way you hear about it. I don't know. I wasn't there, but you know, yeah, yeah. at the same time, they had, they had to keep the band going and, you know, um, they did what they thought was the right thing to do at the time, I guess. And, You know, could they do it with those guys now? I think it would be the coolest thing in the world if they actually had all the original guys and there was a little bit of recklessness inside the the camp of the band because, in my opinion, that's what made that band what they are today. And that's what people are intrigued by is not that they have to go and start doing heroin and getting high (laughs) every time, but the recklessness. You could have taken all those drugs away back then and that shit would have still been there because it's the chemistry within the people, I think. I don't really believe that the chemical part is, you know, maybe it's going to make you hit a couple sloppy notes here and there and all that, but there's a there's a magic when you get with people. I have no one because you feel it, you know? Not playing with Jet Boy for years and playing with other bands and then getting back to the, these guys for the first time in 17 years when we did, I said to myself, like, oh, whoa, this is like, there's like, there is something here. You know, you kind of really feel this, connection you can't put a finger on what it is or a word or whatever you just feel it you know so you know but then again what they're doing now is what they want to do and that's their band and you know they i don't i don't know enough to like maybe what they're doing is the right thing to do because of i hear their you. reasons you know i know i hear, I hear. izzy would be great i'd love to see izzy in the band and I'd love to see it to be stripped down and be like a simple stage and just, you know, because I think at the end of the day it's about the songs, you know, but, yeah, it's the same time, you know, the biggest thing in the world right now, so it's just, uh, you know, I hear it. I not mind saying anything.
2: <laughs> I hear it, and I'm curious because I'm going to yeah. play like a short little clip here when, you know, what your thought process was when Axel, because he mentioned, uh, you know, dedicating uh, Knock on Heaven's Door to, to Todd a right. couple times, so I just want, in case of You know, I'm sure many of our fans have listened to a few of these performances, but just, you know, to add some production value to this thing, I just want to, you know, bear with me for 23 seconds.
0: Uh Todd Crew, who recently passed away because he danced a little bit too hard with Mr. Brown's song. Now, I don't understand how there's a God up there who could take someone like Todd from me or any of his friends, but... Anyway, until then, I guess we're all just knocking
3: on heaven's door.
2: What did that mean to you when they started dedicating the songs to songs to Todd?
3: Yeah, well, you know, they I believe they just did that song for Todd <clears throat> when he passed away. And I think it was live at that live at the Rich footage because that was, I think, a show that happened soon after Todd passed. You know, and that was basically a dedication to him. And I think the song took off. So,
2: yeah, this was, um, if you don't mind, because I think somebody yells something and the crowd an axle. I mean I guess you may have heard this before so uh, this is just uh, this might have been cuz that clip was for uh, the Ritz 80s, 88 this one uh, 88, yeah, I think right. this is the 87 according to YouTube assuming it's correct uh, the one I'm going to play now a little longer uh this is from also the Ritz 87 October 23rd we'll see if uh, mm-hmm. if you know your memory recalls this at all
0: If you know of us right. you have known of us And you know, we recently, a couple months ago, lost a friend of ours. A little over a month ago, I OD'd, and I ended up in a hospital called Cedar Sinai. I was in a coma for about two days. When I got out of the hospital, the first person I saw was a guy named Todd Crew. Todd used to be in a band called Jet Boy, and one of the reasons he got kicked out Jetboy sucks. One of the reasons he got kicked out was for hanging out with us. I think we were more friends than the people he knew all his fucking life. When When I got out of the hospital, the first person I saw was Todd, and I really didn't want to see anybody I knew because I didn't know if I had any friends left. Todd came up to me and gave me a hug and said, you can't do this to the family, man. Two weeks later, Todd OD'd here in New York. Uh, we tried doing this song without dedicating to Todd, and every time we feel too fucking guilty, we end up doing it anyway. And a friend told me that we won't get over it until it happens again. So until then, this is for Todd, and this is Knocking on Heaven's
3: Door.
2: Was that the first time?
3: What First time what?
2: That, that, that song was dedicated to, to Todd. Uh,
3: I believe it was at the Ritz, okay. so whenever that was.
2: Right. yeah, and I think he just yelled out jet boy sucks because uh some fan was yelling in and who knows like he maybe was just been angry at the time but um right
1: people you, are young people say different things when they're young then you know it, it, yeah time changes things
2: oh for sure um with now oh, 2018, yeah 2018 I'm looking at it as I would love g uh jet boy and GNR to do something
3: because that' would if, be amazing I would love it yeah that's because that's what, I mean it should it should happen it would actually solidify so much stuff and actually it would be a, a salute to Todd in so many right. ways
2: yeah that's okay. yeah exactly I think it would be very cathartic for like everyone involved mm-hmm. uh, absolutely know. cool so that's the mm-hmm. I, I wanted to play for those uh, fans yeah who I never heard I never those... I don't
3: think I yeah I don't think I heard I remember I think the other one I had heard and I think I don't know I know that, that and that's Axel, right he's saying yeah. all that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's I don't Axel. remember him ODing or anything like that I don't remember him being really into drugs much but um, so I don't know what when that happened or whatever I don't remember ever hearing about that hmm yeah, I some od yeah i
2: that was I wasn't sure of that either, I don't know about right. you, uh you Matt, so I don't know if this there was more to the story, but again that was uh off a YouTube clip uh from 1987 right. uh in October yeah. so, so right. but again, everything that we're talking about with with Stephen Adler, you know his uh mm-hmm. redemption tale and you know, and, and Todd obviously still meaning something something to you and you uh understanding what, regardless of what happened, it's still a burden slashes to take with him. I think you would just be mm-hmm. very cathartic and heal a lot of people if something didn't happen. So I just think that's amazing that you would be open to it and believe that it should happen. So I don't know. I'm putting yeah, out the vibes. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think it would be cool. And with the new record coming out and the timing of things, you never know. They're doing what they're doing. You know, it could be cool. And it was a lot of anger, you know, a lot of, you know, like what Axel said, yeah, boy sucked, you know. But then it's like, you know, that's not what he felt back then. And there, and, and there was an, a there was a cat house show that that Guns N' Roses did, probably later that year. Um, I'm sure it's the video of it or whatever. But he made a public apology that he night. Did. Like, he did. I know that. Yeah. There's been bad blood. Blah blah. I don't know what he said or whatever. But. You know, it was a lot of anger, you know, I mean, you know, not to throw Axel under the bus, but he was the one who used to like want Todd exited from the dressing room because he was always fucked up and, you know, you know, drunk or whatever it was. You know, there's a couple of times that that happened and just, you know, so I don't know, people just get angry and they say certain things and we all did it, you know, and that guy's, you know, Axel's been through a lot of crap, you know, He's just like the rest of us and everybody deals with it differently.
2: Absolutely right on, and I th- and I think this is why you know I started this podcast. The the feeling of, what's just, for lack of a better w- or a word, call it a reunion. I know it's just Axel Slash mm-hmm. and, and, and Duff has brought joy to so many fans around the world, literally yeah. with listeners around the mm-hmm. world. And it's the same thing with with Jet Boy getting back together or putting out a new record the first time in thirty years. So it's just something about you know when fans like they see Axel and Slash on stage, just, none of us playing together, smiling. You know, enjoying each other's mm-hmm. company, given, oh, yeah. this, you know, Axel had called slash a cancer, of course, saying the reunion would not happen, not in this lifetime, hence the the name of the tour. So I think people right. can understand that people were who they were and have grown because everybody grows and goes through shit. And I think that's why exactly. we love these bands so much. Exactly. So, and same thing again, did the it around with, with Jet Boy? You know, all this apparent mm-hmm. bad blood, which started from such a place of love. Would be such a. Right. That would be another redemption story, you know, for you guys to have a, you know, a successful, thirty years. My God, it's to have a, I guess, a, a record come out and then do something with this band that you started with, all these years ago. I guess, think would just be amazing for for fans everywhere. So it
3: would. It, w- it, it would. I mean, you know, maybe the fans are like a smaller version because Shepley didn't hit the heights of Guns N' Roses, but it would be cool to do for the fans who did get it, but the main thing it would be cool to do is for everybody involved, for both bands and Todd, and just the memory, you know, it just, it could even be something for Todd, you know, I mean, I always thought that would have been something pretty amazing to do. Just,
2: I think you know, that, that you know?
3: absolutely, I think, yeah.
2: it's things, I think those would be opportunities, I think, for for bands to bring attention to, you know, now, to bring attention to a cause the things that we know now with yeah. with addiction and diseases and say you know we've all survived but we've lost friends and let's call attention exactly. to it and maybe healing with you know f- a family that he has now because the show that he's not forgotten uh, so i think that's that's awesome and you have a really uh healthy thought process billy this has uh, really been very encouraging and awesome to, to hear from you
3: yeah cool thanks so um, pretty pretty cool
2: yeah, so go ahead, Matt. Maybe it'll,
3: maybe it'll, ha- maybe it'll happen.
2: <laughs> I hope so. I hope so.
1: Yeah. Hey, hey, Billy, uh, real quick to bring us to 2018. Yeah. Uh, this new record you guys will have coming out, it, what's the vibe? Is it kind of like a classic a feel-to-shake sound? Uh, do you have a title for the record? Uh, tell, us something, tell us about this new project, man. Tell us about the new record. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, um well, you know, it's funny the whole thing came together fast and out of the blue and we got the offer to do it, we accepted and we all kind of scrambled for a minute like wow, we got to come up with like at least 10 songs. <laughs> and I've always been into writing and I've done stuff, you know, I had another band American heartbreak and I got really into like recording my own stuff and um Logic and Pro Tools. I didn't really get into Pro Tools, but the Mac program Logic and the recording and so when it happened, I just like, I had a couple ideas and I just dove deep into it. Fern started coming over with some riffs and we just started structuring songs and they, it just started flowing. I'd send him the mic and he'd be like, boom, call me in like an hour. I got something, boom, it's done. And it just started just snowballing. And we ended up writing 12 or 13 new songs with not having to dip into any old riffage from the old days. And it was it was super organic, and it was just, like, meant to be. You know, it was that chemistry thing that just started flowing. But the songs are very, uh, you know, it's super rock. It's very, it's a combination of kind of the career of the band in a lot of ways. You know, it's just, uh, everybody says it, but I think it's the best stuff we've done. You know? Um, and I'm super excited about it. So... Um, it's very, you know. There's some Aerosmithy stuff. There's some Henry of rock spivy stuff, punky stuff. There's some very poppy, cheap, tricky vibe. There's some ACDC vibe. There's some uh, Stonesy vibe stuff. Even like, you know, Rod Stewarty. You know, um, so it, it's it's uh, it's pretty exciting, actually. You know, after took a break from it because we finished mixing it up a couple of months ago and listening to it, going like, wow, we really got something here.
2: That's you know? awesome. That it's not forced. That you were given this offer and you're into it. But the fact that right this great product is coming out of it, and you're happy, and you sound happy with it, and looking forward to it. I think mm-hmm. it's going to reflect not just in the music, but I'm assuming live shows. Like, what are mm-hmm. plans to, the tour? What what's going to come first? What can we what can we expect? New music or uh, new tour?
3: Don't don't I don't know. Yeah, we're kind of going to just wait till let the record do it all the talking for us. You know, let the music do the talking, as Joe Perry said. Um, get the record out. They're going to release a song in August and the, in the release date of the album. And then we're going to leak a couple. We got like this little short video recording the album, like a little mini doc. And then we'll try to just gather a couple other little things together to kind of lead up to the release of the album in January. Um, The album's called born to fly. It's got 12 songs. Um, And it's, it's just, it's a, solid rock and roll record really you know
2: any any reason why born to fly what what inspired that
3: uh it's one of the songs that came up and one of the new songs and it's a, you know we feel it's a strong one and i don't know jet boy born to fly new record True. uh you know it just kind of felt right um there's a song called beating the odds a song called a little bit easy uh, the way that you move me is kind of our the rod sturdy, ballady one. Um, a song called "She." It's a, it, it's it, it's 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 cool. I'm pretty. Everybody's, hopefully, everybody's gonna be pretty pumped when they hear it.
2: And on a, a weird, again, you know. my, my chemically imbalanced brain, I was kind of hoping the Winnipeg Jets would make the Stanley Cup final because I would have been like, oh, maybe Jet Boy can get like the official theme song for the Stanley Cup final or something like that. Tie right?
3: that in. <laughs> yeah, right? That yeah. would be cool. I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, that, that would have yeah. been
2: funny. But no, that's that's so awesome. And, and I can absolutely see you guys <laughs> when you do plan the tour uh, playing uh, uh-huh. by me, Revolution in Amityville, because LA Guns was just there. I know Faster right. Pussy Guy is playing there soon. They have, here's a great place for just great bands to, to come through just a little spot right. on long island so uh, mm-hmm. you know next time you're you know east coast new york i would love to have you in studio i know this is only well, part yeah, of one great, of our hey? conversation uh, just to say
3: exactly yeah because touring wise we'll see we're doing we're doing a date in denver in july and then okay. we're doing we're going over to england to do uh this Hellfest festival and it's with the backyard oh, babies and yeah. la guns um and a bunch of other bands, and then we'll do, a, I think we'll do a couple spot dates to just to make it worthwhile, and then we're just going to wait till the record's out, and then we do Monsters of Rock Cruise, which, Oh, cool. me, going to be one of the coolest ones because Rose Tattoo and the Wild Hearts and D.A.D. are on it, and I love all those bands. <clears throat> and then after that, we'll see, I, you know, I, I hope somebody's going to come along and go, wow, let's take you guys out for a little bit, or, you know, something like that.
2: I can see it happening, whether it's, as we yeah. were alluding to do before, you know, Guns and Roses, right. because their manager said that they plan on touring, you know, for years to come and I, I loved uh when they, 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 they picked a, a very eclectic group of opening acts, the first uh I, you know, for yeah. few legs. So who knows what the is. Who
3: knows, man. It, it really not because it would be so great for the band to be out with them and to do that again, but it would be it would be it would be a cooler thing than there's no other band can that can connect and do something that hardcore fans will be like, oh, wow, that's pretty rad, you know?
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
3: So let's see what happens.
2: I love it, Billy. You know, this was uh, such a cool yeah. conversation to finally uh, speak with you and, you know, some of the yeah, stories definitely. that I've, you know, read about over the years but kind of hear it from your your mouth and and just get a sense for mm-hmm. you know who you are and just it's so cool to have in 2018 not to just kind of talk about what's happened yesterday year, but there's so much of a future for you to look forward to I just think it's just yeah. uh, it's just so awesome and a blessing and I uh, guess continued success and you know as we we said off the air this is only part one when the album is, is done or close to being done you're gonna mm-hmm. come on and hopefully with a friend of yours I won't you know uh, we don't know whom yet so I won't kind of put that yeah, out yeah definitely.
3: But yeah what? we'll definitely do that to get you know get something closer when the record's out and uh, play some more clips and all that i'll I'll try to get you a clip for this one at least maybe we could sneak a couple of riffs in and then. Uh, right on. Yeah, we could talk about the guitar stuff that I do with my other my business. That's my main thing these days, you know.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Learn yeah. more about uh Billy. But in the meantime, uh, how do fans keep in touch with you? Uh your rock and roll relics on, on Twitter?
3: Yeah, that's my that's my guitar company, it's okay. rock and roll relics dot net is the website, and you can go to everywhere from there, from the Facebook and it's really you can go to jetboyrocks.com dot and, com and lead to over all the other social media sites as well. So um yeah. And then, uh, awesome. Yeah, when the record's out, it'll be, uh, that'll be the place to go to, uh, hear some clips and, you know, buy the album. <laughs>
2: well, I'm looking forward to it all, talking to you again, the new yeah. album, seeing you, uh, live and in person. So, unless you have any other questions, awesome. Matt, uh, before Billy goes,
1: uh, one, I want to thank him for the conversation and the music, uh, um, Enjoy the Feel the Shake record, and the new record sounds really promising. I got one last question for you. Um, Uh Billy, Hanoi Rocks, a lot of people know, like, the Hanoi, they've seen, like, a photo of Hanoi Rocks or whatever. For people who want to dig into the music beyond the look of what inspired you about these guys, where do you recommend they start? I've got the Self Destruction Blues record, if there's a song or an album. For people who want to get into Hanoi Rocks and see why they, uh-huh. ate Jet Boy, GNR, all these people, where should they start?
3: It's really the early stuff: Bangkok Shock, Saigon Shakes, the early one with tragedy and Love uh, Street Kids, and uh, um, you know, then of course Oriental Beat. You know, I mean that was a great record with Motivating. and then Self Destruction Blues, of course, is you know Love and Injections, one of my favorites, and then Malibu Beach off of. Uh, uh, Back to Mister City is brilliant too. So those are the those are the records, and then and then the live one. I mean, you can go into all of them, but I would say the first three are like the magic records for me.
1: Awesome! Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Cool talking with you. Cool. Yeah. Dude. Awesome. Thank you.
2: Maybe next time we'll do uh, Billy's picks. You know, uh, whether it's the the, the essential yeah, albums can... or maybe some new music that you're you're listening to that you can turn us on to. Yeah. Yeah.
3: There's a lot of new stuff, and I can go deep with all the Hanoi and all the stuff we talked about. Lords of New Church and. You know, it was it was always about the music, but if it had that look with it, you know, that's a huge part of rock and roll too.
2: Right on. But uh, are you still yeah. any Aquanet still for you these days, or no?
3: No, no more Aquanet. I think all <laughs> I, I all I wear, you know, it's just, it's pretty straightforward rock these days with the rock shirts, like Matt's badass Draw the Line shirt, you know, <laughs> 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 stuff like that. Right on. Right this on. This a pretty cool one. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Billy. Awesome. All right, man. Okay, I'll
2: talk to you guys. All right. So, uh, Matt, what did you what you think of the interview? I enjoyed it quite uh, quite extensively.
1: No, I thought Billy was great, and it's cool that he kind of painted a picture of you know like uh, meeting the uh, Axel when he's still known as Bill Bailey and Izzy, and what it was like playing those shows together, and the music they all loved, Hanoi Rocks, and. You know, him being willing to talk about uh, Todd Crew and the stuff that went on with that. And uh, I thought he was pretty, uh, pretty damn good with all that.
2: He was. And I think more than any other guest, when we've asked about their influences, he went real deep. And I think it gave us a real good sense of but not just what he was listening to, but he mentioned what he and Izzy would listen to drinking their peppermint uh, schnapps. You know, uh, rather than seeing a live band, would rather just listen to their, their ghetto blaster or whatever. Uh, I just think it really paints a scene of who, I guess for the sake of this podcast, who we, who our, I don't want to say heroes, but, uh, you know, the Guns of Roses, you know, our favorite band uh, looked up to as well. Kind of that, that chain reaction. And yeah, when he started talking about Todd Carew, I know uh, Matt, you and I off air, we spoke about, we we knew the connection um it we we know he's talking about it publicly um and i think in years past there has been maybe a little bit more bitterness towards maybe slash in his uh, view of, of events but i think what he said was was right the only one who knows what happened was slash and whatever whatever happened you know whether slash was the one that uh in, injected todd or 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 whatever it was that Slash is still living with it, regardless. Like his friend died, and that's just awful. Yeah. And for him to see it, also he's he's sober now. He's a family man, and for him to still carry that, that never goes away. And for and again, for no other reason, what Billy said: if Jet Boy and GNR were going to do something together, yeah, the fans are great, but for the band, because they're still they're people. They they all have wounds. So I think it, that would just be. Amazing, even if it wasn't a show, but, you know, maybe if a, if a conversation happened, you know, because, yeah, because these guys were all friends and life is too short. Todd Cruz's life was too short. So I really appreciate, uh, you know, Billy talking about that stuff with us because it's, it's difficult. It really is. I, I I don't know for his perspective to talk about Todd, but I know what for people who I've lost, sometimes it's 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 hard to do it. With people you don't know because he doesn't know us, we we try to, you know, make it as friendly as a conversation as possible. But it's one thing if Billy's talking about it with his bandmates or his family, but just to talk about it with two guys like us, I don't know. I really appreciate it that he was he was very open.
1: Oh, very much so. And time changes stuff in terms of, like, that sure. anger between the bands. And I thought, I think, actually think it'd be cool as shit to say, like, Guns, Headliner, arena with, like, say, Jet Boy and Faster Pussycat on. I think that'd be fun as hell, man. Uh, and I think, you know, I mean, and I'm sure it's very complicated for the guys in Jet Boy in terms of, you know, it's, you know... Uh, It sounded like it was getting really complicated working with Todd crew at that point, from what Billy was saying. But, uh, you know, even at that, I'm sure that uh, at some point they, you know, maybe felt, you know, uh, probably had a weird feeling about firing him. Maybe, I don't know. Not that, you know, not that they were wrong to do it from what they were saying, because they were trying to, you know, they had this opportunity, to have their first album come out and, you know, uh, but, you know, at, I, I thought he was really really cool and interesting talking
2: about all that stuff. Yeah, and the comparison for our sake again it being a GNR podcast is talking about Steven yeah. Adler. We don't yeah. know. We we really don't know even not whether it was back then or now, you know why he's not involved. We can all speculate, we can all think that we know the truth, uh but we don't other than the people involved and even the people involved have their own perception on what went down so you just want what i would like to see as an opinion while people are still alive some sort of healing going on because i think this is just uh done a world of good for axel slash and duff uh i think whether steven wants you know a full reunion or not i think it did a world of good to be on stage again uh, with them, and I think it's as you heard it from in Billy's voice for him to be making a, a new Jet Boy record for the first time in 30 years. I think it's just incredible. Um, but before we go, because we were getting some perspective on what we do all the time, like their first Guns N' Roses show. So to see his first Guns N' Roses show, which were kind of Hollywood Rose. Uh, I know in the past I've, I've spoken about my first uh, GNR show, which was with Buckethead. Uh, but hmm. I want to talk a little bit more with you, Matt. I, I I would like to think next you'll be on again as a co-host. But you, I, I want you to share some of your good GNR stories. That because I don't want to make people wait uh, until the next time you co-host. But you were telling me some some good shit off the air. So uh, what was your first GNR show? Since you're a little bit older than I.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, Brandon. So the first Guns N' Roses show I ever saw was June 30th, 1991. Uh, it was on the Illusion Tour, but the records hadn't come out yet. Uh, they were playing the Birmingham Race Course, which is a dog track, in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, and it was uh, just a spectacle, mad, muddy. Uh, you know, the most people, before I started covering things like Bonnaroo, the most people that I've ever seen at a concert before, uh, I think the estimates are like 50 to 70K for that day. Uh, mud up to your like halfway up your calves uh, Skid Row opened and you know uh, Sebastian was f- of course still front in the band and they, they were doing the Slate to the Grind record and uh, they you know were really kick ass hard rock band at that time. Uh, Guns came out and it was just this was the show before St. Louis. Okay. So uh, it was teetering on that like you know, uh, the band would sound just vicious and killer. Axel's voice was awesome. Uh, but there was, you know, it was chaotic on the stage. Uh, at one point, I guess some fans were throwing some mud at Axel. It was during patience, of all things, and he, you know, like walked off stage. But I'd walk off stage, you know, I'd walk out of the office if people were throwing mud at me while I was trying to type a story. But, like, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, he came back out. And you, you, from time to time, you could find tapes of that show on YouTube. I, I think it's down right now. But at one point, when Axel was off uh, stage for a little bit, uh, Slash erupted into the "Communication Breakdown" Led Zeppelin riff, and like the crowd was just like mind blown that Guns N' Roses was about to play "Communication Breakdown." <laughs> uh, but they didn't play the whole song; they just played a little bit. But uh, it, it's like one of those polarizing concerts that like people there either thought it was the best thing they ever saw or the worst concert they ever saw. It's definitely one of the most infamous concerts in Alabama. Uh, I saw them later mm-hmm. on the Usual Illusion tour. They came back, which was interesting that, uh, you know, they came back to Birmingham in 93. They played the arena there. And I didn't think it was nearly as good. Uh, Izzy was still in the band in 91 uh, when I saw him at the the Dog Track. And, even though it was before the Illusion Records came out, uh, an ex-girlfriend had given me a cassette of, I believe, what's going to be on the uh, new Appetite box set, the uh, Sound City demos. Oh, okay. It, had, uh, it, had, uh, it was a cassette. It had the uh, November Rain with just the uh, piano and some acoustic guitar. It had Back Off Bitch on there. So, like, you know... I was like probably maybe one of a handful of people, you know, I would think who, you know, they played November Rain before it came out at that '91 uh, Dog Track show, uh, and uh, it, it went over good because you know it's such a brilliant piece. But in '93, by then Gilby Clark, who I love and is a a good rock guitar player, he was in the band by then. Uh, but it was really they said they they, they just seemed brittle, man. Axel, I believe. Went off because there were problems with his monitors, and uh, I think Slash played a long guitar solo if I'm remembering that correctly. But it just wasn't as good. <laughs> the uh, The Dog Track '91 show was just insane, wild, and this just seemed like the wheels were coming off. Uh, but uh, I, I was one of those kids that saw the the early morning transmission when uh, and they uh, talked. MTV, I forgot who it was, I don't think it was Tom Zutott, but maybe some, uh, I think uh, David Geffen called in a favor maybe to get MTV to play the Jungle video, and I was uh, spending the night at my friend Darren Reed's house, sitting in his family, had this like sunken den, you know, with like the 1983 uh, TV that's like a piece of furniture, and I remember seeing that Jungle video, and at the time I loved, you know, like Motley Crue, things like that, but this immediately was so much more badass, and I still like Motley Crue, but uh, it it was it just kicked you in the teeth, and I went and got the uh, the Appetite cassette. Nobody I'd play it for liked it for like six months. They'd be like, "This singer has like they have like four singers." I was like, "No, it's one guy." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, and you know, Guns and uh, I saw the. Not in this lifetime tour three times twice at Dodger Stadium. Oh. They played yesterday's, which they hadn't played most much on the uh, right. on the tour. That was special, and uh, got to hang out with our buddy Art Tavana at the Dodger shows, and saw him in Nashville too. And so that means I saw two of uh, the Adler shows because Adler came out in Nashville. They came out for one of the Dodgers shows.
2: So uh, you went to both wow, that's uh talk about wow, you're the lucky charm, man.
1: Just a lucky, you know, lucky dude to see that. But they were great without him, they're great with him, you know. Uh, you know, he's got like that as everybody who's ever seen Steven played, you know, he's the happiest, you know, guy to ever play drums and uh it was cool to see. But, you know, uh uh, Frank Ferrer uh, do, does a great job on this tour, too. And, uh, you know, I've got to do a couple of the big stories I've got to do on guns were the the story on uh, Slash's guitar that uh, was a custom uh, replica of a Les Paul that this guy named Chris Derrick uh, made, who's uh, unfortunately dead, but he's kind of a legendary luthier um, so I got to talk to Mike Clink for that, cool. and a bunch cool. of uh, other cool people. And uh, I get uh, I did the West Arcane and Chris Weber story that I think was the last year. And uh, Chris was so great to talk to, such a nice guy. And I love his playing on the Hollywood Rose demos. Um, and uh, it was cool getting to talk with West brother uh, A Arcane, who's a real good dude. And uh, oh wow, okay, with, yeah. And uh, I, I still. Uh, Abe and I will uh, chat a little bit on uh, uh, digitally sometimes and uh, get in touch with, uh, talk with West's longtime uh, girlfriend, Wendy, uh, who was, you know, hanging out with, you know, when Axel would come over there and they'd work on songs or, uh, you know, stuff. So um, it's just, and I love what it, it's like, and, it, and that's why I, I really relate with what you do because. Uh, Even though I interviewed Splash in 2011 when he was uh, promoting his first uh, solo record, and he was great, and he was funny, and, you know, he's, like, joking around. Uh, One of the questions I asked him was, what's a strip club every man should visit at least once? And he was, like, uh, he was in Las Vegas at the the time, and he was, like... uh, You know, we got the Spearmint Rhino or something like that in Las Vegas. And later, I always get people at the end, I'm like, just to set the scene for the reader, where are you? Like in your hotel in Vegas? Or the gig, like, I'm at the Spearmint Rhino. (laughs) But he was funny, he was clever. Uh, but, uh, But what I was saying is, man, like what you do... And like what any of us do that you know does reports on guns now and writes stories on them is you have to interview the periphery guys. And but that's cool because that's a different perspective, that's a different angle on the camera uh, to talk to these people. And uh, whether it's Alan Niven or Mike Klink, who rarely does interviews, or you know like. Hell, man, Art getting to talk to Tom Zutat or, you know, it, it's, or these, you know, somebody like Billy Rowe who played gigs with gu- Guns Early or, you know, all the other cool people. Well, who- speaking of, of
2: West, uh, our next, it should yeah. be our next episode, uh, James uh, James on the record or Jamie Hunting, who was on the Outpatients record with West. And that was apparently the last known recording uh, with uh, Axel and Slash on it together. So we're going to talk to him next episode, and that's another perspective. So, Because I, I think a lot of what it is, it's the fringe guys, like, yeah, of, of GNR, but it's like awesome stories that people don't know about. You know, just because they, oh, they wow. might not be as high profile, so to speak, doesn't mean their stories are any less entertaining or significant or informative.
1: And they're almost more interesting in a little so, bit because it's, yeah. it's a different camera angle. Like, it's not like... The, you know uh, you know the icons or superstars like slash or Axel or Duff or whatever or you know some, or even someone like Stephen who's legendary in his own right like I don't know it's kind of neat in a way do I wish that you know for my job as a journalist what I mean Axel Rose is uh, you know definitely the uh, the big white whale so to speak yeah. in terms yeah. of you know everybody always asked me if you could interview one person. It'd definitely be Axel, but you know, same, they, they don't need to do that. The, you know, they don't need to do that. And it's only going to, you know, complicate things for them and they can just play their music, earn a great living, but it is cool to do the, you know, like you do the hard, the, the work of finding these, you know, other, these supporting players in the Guns and Roses universe. And I try to do that with what I do when writing and like, I don't know, man. It, it, in a way, it's kind of cool that you have to put it together like that. And, you can, and I can't just email Duff's publicist and say, hey, can I talk to – let's set up a 20-minute phoner with Duff. You know, it, it, I, it, In a way, it's almost cooler.
2: Yeah, I think so too. Plus, I mean, I wouldn't be going through 64 episodes – I always kind of jokingly said, even before doing a podcast, and when I get started in radio in general, I'm like if I ever interview Axel, I probably could retire the next day. So <laughs> the podcast would be over. I'd be like, ah, but there's nothing else I need to do. I spoke to Axel Rose. I don't know. It's like the, the myth, the allure that is Guns N' Roses and why it makes them to me podcast worthy. If it's a band that's, you know, so overly accessible, what's the point? Just like what's the point? You know, and I think that's kind of why, you know, I, I don't know how much sports you, you've written about over the years, but it's kind of like interviewing some sports guys. That's why you get so many cliches after, you know, 110% and like, you know, it's a team effort because yeah. it's, it's the same shit. And they talk about talk about it after every game. So what's the point? You know, it's a, it's years later when they talk about their career, about you know, doing crack in the dugout or some, <laughs> something, then maybe that's where the, the, the stories come out. But if you're talking to these guys every day, you know, and that, that was kind of what we were talking about at the beginning with Fernando, how, you know, he came yeah. out. And uh, sometimes it's good to come out and talk. Sometimes it's not. And I, I, I like the way things, you know, it was very Axel-like what he did. He came out, said his piece. it. And he came on and well, also answered some fan questions. And sometimes Axl Rose does that as well. You're accessible, but no, like maybe like not really, but you are a little bit. If anything, they're more accessible than during the Chinese democracy democracy recording time because you know what 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 was going on. But uh, here we are in 2018 that we're gonna see Guns N' Roses again uh, this summer, doing uh, festival dates, uh, show dates overseas. Uh, we're gonna get our first uh, Jet Boy album in 30 years, uh, and and I, I'm sure I didn't believe this would happen. I'm sure you know you Matt, when you all all those years uh, ago watching, you know GNR playing a, a dog track, you wouldn't expect uh, to be where you are or where you are rather, in, uh, right now in this moment. So I just appreciate uh your time today, you know, uh making the connect with uh with Billy. Of course, you're always welcome back. Talk more about GNR in any capacity, and um, so how can people can stay in touch with you and uh, you know with, with your articles and and all that fun stuff, and maybe, maybe go um, back and read about the things that uh, they had they've missed, like with um, with West Brother.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at uh, at Matthew V Wake. Uh, there's a few things if you you know, like want to find some of my other L.A. Weekly stuff I wrote about guns, you, you can search L.A. Weekly, Matt Wake. Uh, and I have some stuff uh, on my staff job here uh, for AL.com, the website for Birmingham News uh, and whatnot. Uh, you know, like I recently uh, published an interview with Chuck Klosterman, who's such a a genius on talking about, you know, uh, this era of hard rock um, that uh, was going to be in the West Arcane story, but it got edited out, uh, so... <laughs> put that on uh they published that on al.com recently but and you know like guns played uh alabama like three times when they were before uh when they were opening for motley on the appetite tour uh so i've done some other stuff from about uh them for my day job here with the the staff job with al.com and like robert johns the photographer was born in birmingham so there's some interesting connections um but you know, man, and you know, and and the cool thing about you know, I, I I love GNR just like you do, and like they they're so fascinating to me, the music, and but the mystique adds it to it. Like if Axel was posting photos of his food on Instagram, I mean, you know, every day would we <laughs> would we be as crazy about him? And I I think it gives more longevity to actually you know stuff like what you do, man. It's like putting these other pieces, it's going to take forever to put these pieces, 64 episodes, man, you're going to, you've got a lot more to do to, you know, to complete the picture.
2: I never would have thought, I guess never would have right. thought. And I, that's why um, all the, the blessing and good luck to our friend uh, Art is putting together his uh, Guns N' Roses book. And I know he's writing a, a Chinese democracy article on the mm-hmm. 10 year anniversary of it. So, no, it's, it's been very cool to, you know, before me doing this, you and Art were writing, uh, I mean, of course, many, many others, but, you know, right now, who I think are really waving the the GNR flag high, that's you, uh, Art Tavana. And as you mentioned before, I think it was you who, and I will, I haven't made a formal, um, I haven't reached out to him formally, but that's Chuck uh, Klausterman. I remember him specifically. Being a huge champion of uh, Chinese democracy when that yeah. came out, so uh, maybe if we ever get Chuck on the show, you'll co-host that one. Maybe that'll be cool. Oh, I'd
1: love, I'd love to. And uh, uh, Brando, thanks for having me on, man. Uh, it's been it's it's been it's been awesome.
2: Yeah, it has been. So uh, it's the first time. Uh, I don't think I don't know anybody else from Alabama. So you have that uh, that credit.
1: Hey, you you know what now, man? So. Uh, Thanks, Brando. This has been fun.
2: Thanks, Matt, and thanks to to all of you. Once these podcasts air, I really love the feedback that I get, and the conversation continues to use kind of a A broadcast cliche. The conversation continues in between these episodes. Uh, Follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. I just like talking back and forth, whether they're, you know, public comments on my posts, uh, plenty of instant uh, DMs, PMs, whatever you uh, crazy kids are calling it these days, having some cool conversations with all of you. So just keep this uh, podcast night train rolling could not do it without you. So uh, tell people about us, all right? I, I think we're building a nice little community here. It's all, again, uh, thanks to you. And as far as the next episode of the EFD show is concerned, well, in the words of Axl Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. No!